Welcome to the Hey Soul Sister podcast, where Mel Histon will guide you through life's big questions and bring you one step closer to doing this crazy journey as best you can. I'm a woman in my 40s. I'm going to own that. I'm in my 40s and I'm a size 12. I can get a bit scared going shopping sometimes. It can be, especially going to a store that I haven't been in for a while and trying on dresses. It gets a bit cringeworthy sometimes in the change room, wondering if I'm going to look terrible, feel terrible, or if by chance I'm going to look amazing. Now, when I went into Privy Fashion the other day, I went in and grabbed a whole armful of different dresses and t-shirts and jeans and tops, tried them on. And for the first time in a long time, pretty much everything I tried on, I really thought I looked great. (laughs) I thought I looked amazing. And that doesn't happen to me very often. And you know what? I was looking around the change room and there were the most beautiful affirmations on the walls there. Just to remind me that I'm a real woman and I should feel really proud of that. Now... What I also love about Privy Fashion right now is they have a special for all of you listeners of Hey Soul Sister podcast. Just go to the website www.privy.com.au and Privy's P-R-I-V-V-Y. When you buy your purchases online, you will get a discount of 20% if you just enter in the promo code SISTER, S-I-S-T-A, at the checkout. You're going to love them. I love them. And what else I love is that they're sponsoring Hey Soul Sister. sisters i have one amazing woman with me today now she's not in the studio she's on zoom there's all sorts of weird covid stuff going on now and plus we're also probably about 10 hours apart from each other i have the fabulous lisa cox with me hey lisa hello (laughs) thank you so much for coming on hey soul sister podcast now for any of you who don't know of lisa so lisa was a young professional woman a copywriter working in advertising agencies around Australia with the world at her feet. And then one day when she was 24 years old, she contracted an infection that changed the course of her life forever, leaving her with amputations, permanent damage to her brain, affecting speech and memory, over 25% blind. She became epileptic and has had other health issues. But seriously, this has not held this fabulous woman back. Today, Lisa is a disability advocate, writer, motivational speaker, author of two books. He fights every day to remedy the underrepresentation and misrepresentation of people living with disabilities in our popular culture and society. But her story is one of untold resilience and is super inspirational. I'm so excited and happy to have you here on Hey Soul Sister. So thanks, Lisa. Thanks so much for such an <laughs> awesome intro. Wow, I, I feel really, really important. I'm here in my gym gear feeling really daggy. That was a fantastic introduction and made me sound far more fabulous than I feel at the moment. On the Zoom, you're looking fabulous in your gym gear. So, I mean, you've been on a, a crazy, incredible life journey. It's been interesting to say the least. What was your life like before 24 years old, before you fell ill and went through that whole journey and acquired your disabilities? It was fairly ordinary. It wasn't boring or anything, nothing exceptional. Because you say that, but when I was reading about you, I'm like, oh, wow, she went for advertising agencies. She was like a young professional, two uni degrees. I'm like, I think think you're being a little bit humble there. (laughs) 
No, I guess I, I guess I I did what a lot of a lot of people do. I went to school and I went to yeah. uni and I got my uni degrees and I moved into state and I did my travel, went overseas and came back to Australia, moved into state for work. I um, worked in advertising for yeah. several years and then then the proverbial hit the fan. Got really, really sick. Yeah, yeah. So what, what were your degrees? It was a comms degree, is that right? Comms degree, Bachelor of Business in Communication and Media. Wonderful. Oh, I've got a Bachelor of Business too. <laughs> oh, nice. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's a good one to have off your sleeves. Absolutely. A jack of all trades. Yeah. So you're from Brisbane originally? Originally from Brisbane, moved yep. to Melbourne because, well, love little old Brizzy, but anyone who knows media and marketing and communications, all happening in Sydney and Melbourne, so... Yeah. Brizzy is picking up a bit these days, but back then, way back when dinosaurs were on the earth. Ah, oh, stop it. <laughs> stop it. There was much more happening in Melbourne than Sydney, so that's when I, I decided to move into state. Do you know what? I always wanted to go and do the big smoke, but I kind of got as far as Perth and that was it. And I suppose some people would still say Perth's a big smoke. Yeah, yeah big, big uh, smoke on the other side of Australia, but I, I can't even, I've never been there because I don't have the guts to sit on a plane for that long, but... Yeah, yeah. I, I, cool. I had plans. My my plan was, but obviously never happened to to yeah. move over to bigger smoke again to advertising yeah. agencies in America or London or something like that, and yeah. and work over there because I really loved the big industry and loved the work I was doing. But Melbourne was as far as I got because obviously, yeah, it all all went bad, and yeah, yeah. Here I am now. So so when did you start to to feel ill? Well, this this is the funny thing, and I didn't mention this to you in an email. Yeah. <laughs> then, funny this because I have amnesia or memory loss. So a few months before the brain hemorrhage or the stroke that I had, that really stuffed the snowballing of everything, and a few months after, I don't remember anything. So I know that <sighs> I had called mum and I'm, I'm feeling a bit off. And the next thing I know, they wouldn't let me board the plane at Melbourne Airport. And according to the staff at the airport, I collapsed. And that's when they went, yeah, you're not going on the plane. We're putting you in an ambulance. And they took me to the hospital. None of which I remember did some tests and found out that I'd had the brain hemorrhage. And I'm, of course, remembering none of this. Spent the next three weeks in coma, two months on life support, and over a year in hospital after that. So oh, my wow. first memory of anything was in a hospital here in Brisbane, and that was maybe three, three or four months after that that brain hemorrhage happened. I have no recollection of, of adding a back. I don't even remember where I worked before my brain hemorrhage. I just changed jobs and just got a promotion and was really excited about that with, with new awards at my new job. Don't remember where I worked, unfortunately. Some of the, the guys I had apparently dated, I hadn't remembered. I'd broken up with my, my ex-boyfriend. <laughs> completely forgot all of that as well. So it wow. wasn't just my, my stroke that I forgot. I forgot a few other important things as well. Yeah, that must have been like a really crazy time for you. Like you know, not knowing what's going on. 
it was it was a bit batshit crazy. So my family, apart from telling me that I've just gone through this huge life altering thing, you've had a stroke and this and this and your boyfriend of a few years, you broke up with him and this and this. Oh, and by the way, your leg's going to be chopped off and this and this. They were sort of dripping me information as I needed to know it and didn't obviously overwhelm me all at once. Yeah. There was certainly a lot to take in over a, a short period of time. Do they know what caused the brain hemorrhage? Yes, a streptococcus A infection, strep A, and it's an infection that you, you can pick up like a sort of like a oh, like a flu. <laughs> I don't yeah. Know, some, yeah. some doctor's going to call the podcast and go, I'm not right. Don't call. Don't call. <laughs> Don't call. <laughs> yes, blame me because I obviously don't have a medical degree. <laughs> yeah, it's all good. And my my immune system, most immune systems can just, you know, get rid of it. Mine obviously didn't. I just went and had a party in my body and caused a brain hemorrhage and then caused all of my organs to shut down. So every single organ of mine shut down, heart, liver, kidneys, etc. just... And that's why I was put on complete life support for three months. Okay, so this is a dumb question, I realise. But if you're on life support, are you conscious? I certainly have no recollection of it, so I don't know yep. if I was on life support. Oh, no, I was in a coma for three months. And to my knowledge, I wasn't I wasn't conscious of that coma. So I was out of the coma, but I don't remember the life support. So even though I was probably yep. out of the coma... Yeah. I have no recollection of life support, so I was probably yeah. conscious but so heavily medicated. You've got doctors and medical people going, oh, by the way, we're going to need to amputate your leg. And then they amputated your fingertips, none of your fingertips. Yeah, that's correct. So I've still got my left thumb. Which I read somewhere that you said so your dad was so beautiful and optimistic. He was like, <laughs> well, tell us what your dad said. The surgeon came in and she's like, okay, so Lisa, we're going to have to amputate nine of your fingertips. And dad being the optimist that he is, he's like, but you get to keep one. And I'm like, fuck off, dad. <laughs> Are you listening, dad? And not- yeah. He was so excited that I got to keep one. Of course, oh. looking back on that now, I'm so excited that I have like one thumb left because it's the only thing that I have any sensation through. So if I have to say, yeah. feel fabrics or, or, you know, sensations for anything, I, I get my left thumb out and that's what I use. But at the time... I was like, yep. Dad, just shut up already. <laughs> yeah. Were you devastated? Of course. I was absolutely devastated. And what happened was when my, all of my organs shut down, they put me on some medication which brings blood back to all of your vital organs. And to bring all of the blood back, it means that blood goes away from your extremities like your nose and your fingers and your toes and all. They all turn black. So everything turned black, but I got to keep my nose, but everything else turned black, my fingers and toes, and they all got chopped off. So originally they were talking about chopping off both arms and both legs. So the fact that I only lost fingertips and toes and a leg, that's pretty awesome as far as I'm concerned. So, yeah, absolutely, absolutely devastated. Lost my blood flow, lost lost all my bits and bits and pieces and things like that. So... They, they first told me that I would I would lose my leg and I just cried my eyes out. Woke up the next morning, went, what? Say what? What? Leg? No, what? Had completely forgotten the conversation. Wow. So they decided that, okay, let's not tell Lisa every day and make it Grand Hall Day. 
good squeak until her brain gets a little bit better or not the mm. brain injury gets better, so, so yep. to speak. But we'll wait a few weeks or a few months and eventually they did tell me again and, of course, I cried and was just devastated. But the next morning I woke up and I did remember and it's starker and they were like, okay, she's remembered now. That took a lot of talking to people. I thought the world is ending. And now I found out that my toes were going to have to go as well and it's sort of the penny dropped. Oh, all the black bits are going. Okay, so my fingers are next and it all fell into place. That's, that's going to happen. Want to save your soul? Review us on Apple Podcast. Can I ask you a question? I read that you had died twice in hospital. Did you have any, like, spiritual experiences when that happened? No. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a couple of people that I know that have, that have been like, oh, yeah, I had a near-death experience. And I was like, I just wondered if that was something you had experienced. No, no, I've, I, I don't want to make light of it or anything. Mm. Like, I know some people have some, some really beautiful experiences and yeah. it would be... It would make so much more of an interesting podcast if I had some grandiose experience and just say, this happened and there were fireworks and that happened. And yeah. It, nothing nothing happened. And I, I wrote an article about this a little while ago and just said the fact that, that nothing happened and no cherubs came down with harps and all these things we're seeing in Hollywood and yeah. it's all the more reason that you have to live for now and live for today and do the thing. Drink, drink from the, the teacup, or do do that thing and see that person, or make that call, or whatever it is, because you're not coming coming back. Or and I I don't mean this with any disrespect. And again, don't call the podcast and don't call, don't call you. Don't call. <laughs> <laughs> but there, there is no second chance. Very well, do it here do and it now. now because here and now, exactly. You don't get a second shot. Yeah, in my experience, anyway. Yeah, and you were certainly doing that. So how long were you in hospital for all up then? In hospital the first time for over a year. Yeah. That was there were about five different hospitals that first time. Yeah. And then I went home, and when I say home, just back to mum and dad's for a couple of weeks and then had to go back into hospital again, back to mum and dad's, back into hospital and from dad's, back into hospital and then... There was a bit of that going on. So I would go back into hospital for what was supposed to be two days that would last for two weeks. And because of the nature of my compromised immune system and things like that, I would have to stay, say, in a disease ward where I know people are in lockdown and things like that at the moment. And this was free social media and smartphones, but I would be in a bedroom all by myself and to come in people would have to dress in full PPE and you know, I couldn't scroll through a smartphone or anything to, to occupy my time and that was how, how people would have to visit me after my my operations like my hip replacement and, and things like that just because I was at, at high risk of, of getting getting infections and, yeah. and things like that. So there was, there was a bit of that going on for, for a few years. And now I still go back into hospital every now and again for, for upkeep, as I call it, or maintenance. Different, different procedures, upkeep and maintenance, maintenance. And <laughs> yearly oil change and <laughs> things like that. Do you ever ask, or did you ever ask, why me? Not really. I probably didn't use 
those words. And if I did, it probably had a few, few more swear words. <laughs> like, what the fuck has just What just happened to me? Um, What's happened to my body what, and my life? Yeah, seriously, why? I guess I've always, just through my, my pre-disability life, had experiences, whether it's been through sport or other things where you just, Failure has just been, and I, I don't mean really traumatic failure, just playing sport and those sorts of things. Failure was something that happens, you get on with it. And not to compare a game of sport with really serious hospitalisation, but it helped me deal with it a bit. So in, in that respect, I was just a bit more like, well, okay, there's... I can't control this, so it is what it is. Um, I suppose I'll say no to that. Of course, yeah. I did sort of go, this is, this is a bit shit, isn't it? Did you ever go through bouts of depression or anything like that? To say that even though I, I, I never said, why me, that's not to say that I didn't go through bouts of depression. I yeah. cried my effing eyes out. <laughs> so yeah. absolutely got really, really, really upset when I found out I was going to lose my legs, for example. I was devastated, yeah. No, absolutely, absolutely. It was strange because there were moments of both ends of the spectrum and I was I was like a bloody yo-yo in hospital. <laughs> I really yeah. was. Yeah. One minute I would just be so immensely grateful because I knew I felt like the luckiest woman in the world. I was alive and I knew what I had been through and holy shit, I was here. And yep. yes, I was at the hospital for that tasted like dog poo and <laughs> who cared. I was alive and I shouldn't be and, wow, life's pretty bloody awesome. But then the next day I'm like reality hit and I'm like, but my leg's getting chopped off next week. Fuck, that sucks. Yeah. I just want to cry again. So I was sort of these, these two extremes and eventually yeah. it sort of all yeah. mellowed out a bit. But, yeah, there were, there were absolutely, I'm not going to pull the animal and sugarcoat the situation. There was certainly, certainly yeah. some really, really dark mindset. Want to fill your soul with more? Go to thesisterco.com. I'm guessing it, like going through your road to recovery, that's years it sounds like. When did you kind of go, okay, I want to become an advocate for disability? Like, How did that all happen? And the reason why I ask that is because it's really interesting. I have found through living life and meeting people on my own experiences, shit happens, like some really, really bad shit happens. And we all have a choice of how we're going to deal with that. And we all have moments of fetal position in the floor, you know, curled up in, in the ball in the corner of the room. And some of us never leave that but I go you're not that you're not that person the work that you're doing now is is awesome and you know really making change in our society and community so how did you go from that to all the work wonderful work you're doing now it wasn't something that I immediately came out of come and went right disability advocacy that's my thing yeah I at first went hell no I don't want I don't want to borrow that it's other people are doing a fantastic job not my thing not my place but the more I looked into it looked at it yeah spent time with other disability advocates etc etc 
like there's almost like a gap in the market to, to use a yeah. business term. Yeah. <laughs> and I had this, not a unique skill set, but... Yeah, because you, you've worked in media. Worked in media and business and, and advertising and given all the, the fantastic disability advocates that are out there doing a really, really great job amongst, amongst all of them, I had a unique skill set amongst all of them. Yeah. So I'm like, well, I can, I can do something with this. So yeah. that's, that's when I decided to, to do a bit more with that. That's essentially how I got into it. And I thought they're, they are all doing a really great job with what they are doing, but I can do more and bring another voice. And it's interesting because, you know, I look at you and, and, and the research and reading that I've done about you, I'm like, you have amazing skills like, and amazing experience that actually, even though it probably didn't necessarily might not have felt like that to you but I go wow you would would be such a wonderful progression because you have all those skills and you know you've what speak beautifully you are gorgeous <laughs> but I'm like that's the world we live in as well you know what I mean I kind of almost equated it a bit with the hero's journey for you so do you mind me asking was part of your decision to start doing advocacy work did that come about in the way that maybe people responded or changed the way that they reacted to you now that you had acquired disabilities? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. people definitely started to treat me differently. And I suppose for two ways to look at that. Firstly, there were my, I suppose I'll call them my loved ones, and they treated me very differently. And part of that was understandable. They wrapped me in cotton wool, I suppose, but so much of that was because they had been there watching me be kept alive by machines for months and not knowing if I'd live or die. And yeah, they, that, it was really understandable that they, they wrapped me in cotton wool mm. and were treating me like this frail little thing. And that, that's okay. So I, yeah. you know, understandable. But when people treat me like that these days, strangers in the street treat me like this or people in the boardroom yeah. treat me like this frail little thing still. Yeah. That's what frustrates me. That yeah. really, really frustrates me. And that's something that's one of the reasons, one of the many, many, many reasons that I do the work I do because not yeah. just for me but for the millions of other people with disabilities yeah. so that they're not being treated like that in the boardroom or the coffee shop or wherever else they may be Yeah. because we're not frail little things where, generally speaking, normal people just, just going, about, going about our lives just trying to get on with it. Actually, and I read something as well that you had said, which I thought was awesome. You said that often people set the bar way too low for people with disabilities. I read that and I was like, that's awesome. It's so true. Yeah. It's it's so true. And fun fact of the day, I know more people doing their PhD with disabilities than without. I do happen to know more people without disabilities than with. Yet we have this such a low expectation of people with disabilities, and so much of that comes back to representations in the media, yeah, and in popular culture. And when your listeners think about it, that's because the depictions we see of people with disabilities generally, yeah. unless they're Paralympians, and they're they're awesome people, don't get me yeah. wrong. Generally, the other depictions we see are the the very sad, lonely, depressed people who are, you know begging on the streets or in hospital beds. And I'm, I'm not denying there were some really tragic stories out there. I've, I've seen some of them personally and they're heartbreaking, but we don't 
ever see this this huge portion of people in the middle, the the quote unquote normal people, just driving the kids to school, doing the yeah. housework, well, yeah. everything else that uh, people with disabilities do, going to work, all those sorts of things. So it's it's yeah. really great to see slowly but surely a few changes. Yeah, um, but I certainly like to see a lot more. Yeah, and what what are some of the areas that you think, in terms of like business, that where we could be better, more inclusive in terms of disability? Start by employing people with disabilities, not just in the mailroom or in the the really low level jobs packing boxes. So I know Sephora over in the United States did something recently and they sent out hundreds of press releases and their CEO was on the news puffing on his chest and telling everyone how wonderful they were and, oh, we've just released 150 jobs for disabled people and how good are we and they're all over the internet. And I thought this sounds a bit suspicious. They're a bit proud of themselves. Yeah. And I dug a bit deeper and, of course, the jobs were only in the warehouse. I'm not denying that those... They're great jobs for some people, absolutely great. But where are the jobs in the stores, in the HR department, in the finance department, in the boardroom, front-facing, in in the advertisements, for example, in the power department? They're the sorts of things we need to do, hire people with disabilities throughout the chain, just some of the way. Let's get soulful on social media. Search the Sister Code Facebook page and follow us on Instagram. Now, you also do really wonderful work writing about body image. You've written a couple, a couple of books, Does My Bum Look Big in This Ad? <laughs> and uh, Media Muscle. And I saw, I think it was maybe on your blog, you were talking, calling the fashion industry to account, which I thought was awesome. And I probably had not really stopped to consider that myself, which is why it's great that you're doing your writing and spreading those messages out there because I was like, oh, I actually hadn't stopped to think about that. How often in the fashion industry do we see models that may have a disability and that's one way that the fashion industry can be more inclusive. First of all, credit where credit's due, the fashion industry has evolved a little bit yeah. in that they have, you know, included some diversity over the last the last couple of decades. I'm old enough to remember when the first size 12 model was on the front of a magazine and everyone lost their minds because, oh, my God, size 12, she's huge. Yes. And we learned that that's, that's not the case. And these days it's quite a, um, a normal thing to do when curve models, as they prefer to be called, yeah. curve models are just a part of mainstream modeling agencies and those sorts of things. So yeah. that's... Is, is quite normal, but I was interviewing designers on, on catwalks, sorry, not on catwalks, on red carpets a couple of years ago, and they're all puffing up their chests and, oh, yes, our collections are so diverse, it's so diverse, rah, 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 so diverse, so diverse. And I thought, great, can't wait to see this. And there were a couple of models of colour and a couple of plus-size models, but there was no disabled models. So I've yeah. often referred to disability as the least palatable form of diversity because... Yeah. businesses and brands want to take that diversity box so often I'll get somebody of colour or somebody other than disability to sort of tick the diversity box and yeah. look all woke yeah it would be, be nice to see disability included in the diversity yeah. discussion and I suppose we'll include gender in there as well because sometimes I wrote a piece for the Huff Post a couple of years ago about gender being, mm. being the discussion 
discussion point when it comes to diversity, but disability, still not getting a look in. Have you had any response from the fashion industry at all? Yes, I yeah. did. Yeah, it was really exciting. Um, This uh, year, for the first year ever, Australian Fashion Week included disability in Australian Fashion Week, not just you know, one wheelchair on a catwalk to mm-hmm. tick a diversity box or one one tokenistic thing. But yep. holistically, they did it in several different ways um, that had consultants behind the scenes. I was speaking on a panel that had a number of different models on the catwalk. For the first year, it was a really good effort. It, you know, of course, things could have been done differently, could have been done better. But for the first year, it wasn't too bad. So yeah. we're already in discussions about how things can be done better for next year, yeah. which is great. So big, big moment for, for Australian fashion after, after many, many years of yeah. <laughs> trying to get that off the ground, I think. Yeah, and hats off for you to actually raising awareness around that issue and, and calling the fashion industry to account. Like, that's, that's awesome. Very much, yeah. There were... Yeah. Lots of lots of people who who'd been calling to account for yeah. for a while, but it had been something that we'd been been hoping for for a while because it had been, I suppose, New York, Paris, Milan, and a couple of the other big international fashion weeks had had people with disabilities involved for years, and it was it was really no big deal. But Australia was still yeah not doing it and it lagging behind. <laughs> I know, and yeah, it was. So I'm, I'm really, really proud of the organisers, and yeah. and like I said, respect for Maiden. Everyone yeah. acknowledges that, but yeah. I'm still really proud of the guys, the guys yeah. behind it. They did a great job. What do you hope to achieve in terms of your advocacy work for people with disability? And like, what's your big vision? I guess my big vision is that I don't have anything to do. just sit around and everyone's like shut up know what you're talking about be quiet because at the moment I have to explain and educate and explain and explain explain, which is fine yeah it would be really nice if (laughs) everyone just went duh know what yeah. Inclusivity is, of course, we understand why disabled yeah. health needs to be used in advertising. Ugh, yeah. It's obvious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because you- at the moment, brands and advertisers and sisters still need to be reminded mm. why a 20% market share is being lost by not capitalising on the disability dollar. Yeah, it's interesting. I say a similar thing with a domestic violence charity I started, Got Your Back Sister, and I say to people all the time, actually, wouldn't it be great if we didn't need to exist? Really? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I hear you. That was a really great answer. I'm like, when you said that, I'm like, yeah, I say that all the time. Want to save your soul? Review us on Apple Podcast. What's your biggest challenge, do you think? Oh, we've, we've already talked about a few of them. Yeah. Low expectations yeah. of me or of the disability community as a whole. Yeah. Uh, assumptions yeah. about myself or of, of my, my yeah. community and people with yeah. disabilities as a whole, what I am capable of or what people like me are capable of. I know when I first 
um, raised the idea of, of including disability in Fashion Week uh, to a few people, I was told, oh, that, that's a bit ambitious. Oh, don't be silly. Oh. Yeah. By some very high-profile people in fashion, too. Wow. So, well, you did it. Yes. There you go. These aren't just one-off events. These are the sorts of things that I come up against time after time, day after day, different examples each time. Yeah. These, these sorts of things happen all the time. Different, different words are used and... Um, yeah. It's just something you get used to and yeah. you just learn to use it as, as fuel. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting that you say that because my next question was around with everything that you have gone through and, you know, what you've learned about yourself and about life, have you struggled on your journey? Have you struggled with your self-worth at any stage? And, and I suppose the lesson for people, how did you overcome that? I think I'd be absolutely lying if I said I'd never, ever have. And I think any woman listening would know I'm lying if I say I never, ever have. Because every woman has, every person has. Yeah. And I know the, the funny thing is, the, the ironic thing is that as a 17-year-old girl, completely non-disabled, I struggled more with my self-worth with a completely flat chest. <laughs> Where are my boobs? Am I normal? I struggled more with my self-worth then than I, I struggled with my self-worth as a 20, how old would I be? A 27 year, let's go 27, 27 year old wheelchair using amputee, covered in scars, yeah, yep. all the rest. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> very, very different looking. Yeah. So that that just makes me makes me smile sometimes and reminds me of I don't no. know if it's how far I've come, but yeah. Anyway, so it's yep. it's all all relative in in some ways, but yeah. I guess some of it in terms of how I coped, and maybe it's just been an age thing, but my my give a shit has I give I give half your fucks days. I'm like, I hope I'm relaxed. You totally are. <laughs> That's all good. In other episodes I say vagina a lot, so it's all good. Half <laughs> your fucks these days. I really, really do. And anyone who I mean I'm I give a I have a a, a wonderful a wonderful partner, a wonderful husband who, yeah. who who doesn't doesn't care about all of these so-called flaws and imperfections. If anyone wants to use those words, I don't, but they are what they are. But anyone who who does want to care about the, the way you look or who does want to give a fuck about your, your body or your your yeah. worth, they don't want your your time in the first place. First I don't care about trying to please people yeah. Yeah. to make everybody happy and to, yeah. yeah. So that's all coming yeah. out, right? This word vomit coming out now. No, 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 but it's so true because I think that's one of my life lessons is actually as I've gotten older, it's like, okay, who do I actually want in my life? 
who who lifts me up and who has the same values and the same soulfulness or whatever that that I do not not that we all have to be the same not saying that at all but I'm like you probably just go actually you know what I'm not going to cut that bullshit you've said it so much more eloquently than I just did. <laughs> I just take what you said and please I'm... insert your words over mine because that's just word vomit <laughs> It's all good, my friend. It's all good. This is about being real. It's about being real. Absolutely. It, I'm, the, I'm not a polished person, so it's all good. As, as you've probably told from this interview, it's all good. Want to fill your soul with more? Go to thesisterco.com. So what have you learned about life or yourself? I suppose I was guilty of falling victim to media stereotypes about disability and it's my own my own fault and it's something I'm trying to rectify with my work at the moment. Falling victim to media stereotypes that disability was just the end of the road and your life was going to be miserable with them. I have since learned that that's complete bullshit. You can have a wonderful, filling life with disabilities. Yes, there are challenges, but I'm not trying to downplay that there are certain really shit times and... It's not all rainbows, butterflies, and unicorns, but you can you can still you can still have a great life with disabilities. Yeah. So that's what I have learned. I love it. Thank you, Lisa. I'm really grateful. Thank you so much for coming and sharing your story and and lessons and learnings on Hey Soul Sister. I'm like, we're all, I still go. We're, we're literally all just trying to figure out this crazy life as best we can. <laughs> and still, still be working it out on my deathbed. I think. <laughs> yeah, but you know, you're very humble. But you know, I look at you and I go, you're such an inspirational woman. Everything you've been through, but like you just you've risen and you're out there doing you do, making change in the world, and that's awesome. We need more people like you. So thank you. I'm here and I'm bloody grateful to be here every single day. So life is precious, so why not do something with it? Life is precious, girls. Why not do something with it? Thank you. Now, Lisa, how can people find out about you? My Instagram is probably their best place to go because I'm too lazy to be on all the platforms. So. <laughs> I love you to say that. <laughs> No, I, I have the I have the pages, but I just don't get around to checking them. So if you message me on LinkedIn, you might get a message in six months' time going, is this still valid? So lisacox.co is Instagram, L-I-S-A-C-O-X.co, and that's also my website. Yeah, perfect. And sisters, jump on and check out Lisa's blog. She's got lots of really great articles there. I haven't read all of them, but I went through and read a few of them. And and I really, you do really great work, really great writing and really thought provoking. So thank you. Yeah, girls, go check it out. LisaCox.co. Today's episode of Hey Soul Sister podcast is brought to you by the fabulous Privy Fashion. Now, they have a special for all of you listeners of Hey Soul Sister podcast. Just go to their website, www.privy.com.au, and Privy is P-R-I-V-V-Y. When you make a purchase at the checkout, use the promo code SISTER. S-I-S-T-A and you'll get 20% off your purchases it's for a short time only so jump on and pick out some fabulous outfits I love them so jump on and pick out some fabulous outfits I love them and thanks again Privy for supporting Hey Soul Sister podcast thanks for listening to Hey Soul Sister with Mel Histon what would help you on your crazy life journey 
Email melissa at thesistercode.com.